Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to episode number 109 of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm your host, Chris Tripodi, and joining me as always is Tony Pauline, back in New York after a few days in St. Petersburg, Florida for the 2020 East-West Shrine Bowl. It's not that cold here though, Tony, although you might disagree after enjoying that Florida weather. <laughs> you know, uh, the last two days in between practices, after I got my work done, I was basically sitting out on a uh, porch tanning. I mean, the only thing I didn't bring with me to St. Pete that I really should have was shorts, so I could have walked up and down the beach. So, yeah, I mean, no, it's not cold here, but it's about 40 degrees colder where I've been uh, the first three days of this week. Yeah, that's only going to continue. We did have that heat wave last weekend, though, so hopefully we get more of the same. But even if next week stinks, at least we'll be in Mobile and be some nice weather there. Maybe, but it is January, so it's supposed to be cold and snowy here in New York. I don't mind that. Good times, good times. And on the show, we're going to have some good times as well. We'll quickly go over the final day of practice, break down some winners and losers from the week as a whole for the East-West Shrine Bowl. We'll also give you a quick preview of Saturday's game, and we'll start here with the skill positions. At quarterback, James Morgan was really the headliner the first two days, followed by Kevin Davidson and maybe a little bit of Kelly Bryant here and there as well. Among the running backs, guys like James Robinson, Tavian Feaster, Adrian Killens, and Reggie Corbin all flashed at different points on the first two days of practice. And receiver-wise and tight ends, Mason Kinsey out of Berry was a big winner early on. Guys like Isaiah Wright, John Hightower, Josh Hammond, Nick Westbrook, and even Malcolm Perry a little bit early also showed some things. Parker Houston, probably the lone real standout at tight end. Tony, which of these guys continued their strong play in the final practice and who might have added themselves to that list? Yeah, I think it was definitely the strongest uh, day of practice of the week for Kelly Bryant, the quarterback from Missouri. He was more consistent with his downfield throws. He showed great poise and patience in the pocket during full scrimmage when the West defense that has a terrific defensive line was getting a lot of pressure on him and the pocket was collapsing. He made one sensational play, rolling outside the pocket, throwing on the move. I mean, you saw the tools there he started to really pull the pieces together on Wednesday. I also thought Wednesday was the best practice of the week for Nick Westbrook. He made several terrific receptions, especially down the field. He doesn't have great downfield speed, but he was able to get down the field behind some of the really what were not very good cornerbacks on the West. And Kelly Bryant dropped the pass right into his hands, 40 yards down the field and over the shoulder catch with a defender draped on him. And then he also really stood out in red zone uh, drills. I mean, he is a good red zone target got up, high-pointed the ball over opponents, and snatched it out of the air. I thought Tony Jones, the running back from Notre Dame, had a real good day of practice on Wednesday. Ripped off some terrific runs, displayed some solid short area quickness, really ran through the hole with authority. You know, he has the makings, I believe, of a solid number three back at the next level. Now, in the trenches, Bravian Roy and Cleo Davis really gobbled up headlines the first couple of days. Other guys who had their moments were Raekwon Williams, Mike Dana, and McTelvin Adrian as well. He had a strong Tuesday. Offensively on the line, Calvin Throckmorton showed some great versatility, which is a big plus of this all-star type of setting. Cole Cabral, the center from Arizona State, Kevin Dotson from Louisiana, and Kyle Murphy from Rhode Island also drew some praise as well. Tony, what did you see on day three from these guys and any others? 
I thought it was a good day for some players that really did not show well early in the week. Uh, Julian Good-Jones, the tackle from Iowa State, really started to make a lot of nice blocks, both in scrimmage and in one-on-ones. I mean, Good-Jones is a guy who wasn't even graded by scouts coming into the year. He's at the Shrine game. Maybe he goes late rounds. I think he's more of an undrafted uh, type of prospect, but still. He shows he has the makings, you know, of a guy that you can develop from the next level. I like what I saw out of John Phillips, the uh, guard from Boston College. A terrific small area guy, strong, stays square, was able to seal defenders throughout the day and really plays with a nasty attitude. I thought Bryce Sterk, the outside linebacker, edge rusher from Montana State, a guy you're going to play up at the line of scrimmage, really started to pull it together. Sterk was a guy who coming into the season was graded as a middle round pick by scouts. I think if you talk to a lot of people who are coming into the season, you would have said that Sterk is a guy that would have seen at the senior ball, really didn't improve, had some outrageous numbers, but didn't improve his game, really showed a lot of pass rushing skill on Wednesday, both standing over tackle as well as out of a three-point stance. Two of the guys you mentioned continued their momentum. McTelvin Agam of Arkansas was really good. He's quick. He's explosive. He's a little bit mouthy, too. I mean, he likes to get in the opponent's face and know when they got beat. And he continued to do that on Wednesday. And it really was a knockout day, I thought, for Mike Dana from Michigan, the guy who transferred to Michigan from Central Michigan, just showed great speed off the edge, displayed a couple of nice inside moves. He was tough to stop. I mean, it, it got to the point where opposing tackles were just grabbing him and throwing him to the ground and would have been called for holding because they had no other way to stop Mike Dana on Wednesday. Now, lastly, we'll take a quick look here at the second level on defense. Michael Walker, linebacker out of Fresno State, was really great on Tuesday. Michael Pinckney out of Miami bounced back in that second day of practice after having some struggles on Monday. Looking at the secondary, Rodney Clemens, the safety from SMU, had two good days to start. Some others of note were Levert Hill from Michigan, Hill's teammate, Jordan Glasgow, who played linebacker for the Wolverines, was playing safety here at the Shrine Bowl. Neville Clark out of UCF, the corner, and David Dell, the safety from Michigan State as well, had some moments. Did anything change on the third day of practice, Tony? No, I think Jordan Glasgow of Michigan and David Dowell of Michigan State played better than they had uh, the prior two days, and they had been playing very good on Monday and Tuesday. Uh, Dowell had a tremendous pick in full scrimmage. Glasgow had a pick that went right through his hands, but he made a nice play on the ball. I think both of those guys really helped themselves. I think the bigger issue was the continued poor play of many of the cornerbacks at the Shrine game. Luke Barku of San Diego State, I believe he had nine interceptions last season. Everyone wanted to see what he was about and whether it was the real deal or it was uh, more opportunities that fell in his hands. I think it was definitely the latter. You know, as I said, as we talked about on this podcast, I wrote at Pro Football Network. I mean, the guy was slow in his transition. He doesn't have great speed. He's a real small guy. I mean, people, I think, thought coming into the week that Barku may be a middle-round choice. I think leaving Shrine Game practices, he's an undrafted free agent. I think Chris Williamson of uh, Minnesota also struggled, which was disappointing to see. I had him highly rated coming into the year. They moved him to Nickelback. He showed some flashes early in the week, but I think he got beat more than uh, – more than he made good plays. And the same thing for Keith Washington of uh, West Virginia, which is continually pummeled uh, by opposing receivers. Now for our overall winners and losers, we'll get to in a second. But first, Tony, what was the overall feeling from scouts after the three days of practice? Basically disappointing. I, I mean, overall, a lot of people I spoke with, including some player personnel people said that they thought that this was one of the worst shrine rosters 
uh, in a long, long time. And we can talk about why that is. Except for a handful of players, they basically said what they saw were a lot of out of shape, out of condition bodies, and some developmental guys or players that go sixth and seventh round. And I got to agree with that because, you know, as I sit here and I went through my notes and prepared for the show, I still can't find any player that I saw the past three days at Shrine practices that's going to be a top 100 uh, selection. I mean, there are a few guys who may fit into the top 120, but I certainly don't see anybody from the past three days that I can point to and say, that guy is a second-day pick. So, Tony, why do you think the roster was so bad this year compared to prior years? I think it's a couple of factors. Number one, you know, the senior bowl is really starting to snatch up the best seniors. We talked about Kalik Hudson on the show when he was initially uh, invited to the Shrine game and not the Senior Bowl, and we both thought that he deserved to be in the Senior Bowl. Guess what? The Senior Bowl snatched him up. Steven Montez, the quarterback from Colorado, who we've talked about a lot on the show, was initially invited to the Shrine game. The Senior senior Bowl snatched him up. So I, I think that the Senior Bowl is getting more and more of the better seniors. I also think that there are some players that if they don't get invited to the Senior Bowl, they're not going to go to the Shrine game. I was told that the Shrine tried to get Nate Stanley of Iowa to attend, and he said no. And the reasoning is, and this has been long, a long-held belief, that a bad week at the Shrine game will hurt you more than a good week at the Shrine game will help you. So the worse you do at the Shrine game, it's more of a negative than a positive if you do very well. And the fact of the matter is, you look at the underclassmen that have uh, declared for the draft the past four or five years. We keep having record numbers of underclassmen declare for the NFL draft. All that does is deplete the senior class. So a lot of the guys that probably would have been playing in the Shrine game this year, some top-rated players, were in last April's draft because they skipped their senior year and decided to move on with their football careers. And two, you mentioned Nate Stanley. Also, Tyler Johnson was supposed to play in this game. Everyone thought he should be at the Senior Bowl. He decided to train on his own rather than going to Shrine Week. Do you think there's a contingent of players who may feel, hey, I should be in Mobile. I don't want to go to St. Pete because it's a second-class game. I don't want to do that. I'm just going to go train on my own, kind of like what Johnson did. Absolutely. That's just what I said. I mean, they think a guy like Tyler Johnson – I remember John Skelton. John Skelton was a quarterback out of Fordham. Uh, who played in the league as a backup for a number of years, was, I believe wasn't drafted, may have been a late-round pick. He wasn't invited to the Senior Bowl. They wanted him to go to the Shrine game, and they said no, because if he didn't do well at the Shrine game, uh, again, it's viewed upon that a bad week at the Shrine game will hurt you more than a good week at the Shrine game will help you. So I, I'm sure that was the mindset of Tyler Johnson. He may disagree with it, but I'm sure he was very upset, like you said, for not being invited to the Senior Bowl. And he figured, well, heck with it, I'm not, I'm not going to go to a game like the Shrine Bowl, which is a shame because there are a lot of scouts there. It's an opportunity for players to perform, uh, and they really should take advantage of that opportunity. Especially, I mean, if you're that good and you think you're that good, go out and show it, and you won't be surrounded by similarly talented players like you might be in Mobile. Not only that is, I mean, how many times in the past have we seen players that really stood out at the Shrine game get elevated to the Senior Bowl? I mean, we're going to talk about one guy in James Robinson, the running back of Illinois State. I got to imagine right now he's on the short list for the Senior Bowl because of the way he performed the past three days of practice at the Shrine Game. Now we'll get to running backs like Robinson in just a moment, but we will start with some overall winners at the quarterback position. Obviously, I ran off a lot of the names earlier. Tony, who won the week under center and who hurt themselves? 
really the two big winners at the quarterback position were James Morgan of Florida International and Kevin Davidson of Princeton. Morgan has all the intangibles. He's smart. He sees the field. It's not just accurate. He, he has great pass placement. He puts the ball where only his receiver uh, can make the reception. As I said in the first show, he showed impeccable timing right from the get-go, which is a ter- terrific trait because these are receivers that he was just thrown on the field with and he had met for the first time. The question with James Morgan is his arm strength. Does he have next-level arm strength or is he a career backup? Regardless, Morgan helped himself. He's moved into the late rounds. Kevin Davidson, a guy that we've talked about on this podcast going back to uh, October, he absolutely helped himself. He was, he, had the, he was the most physically gifted passer there. He had the strongest arm. He would look like the, the most natural pocket passer. I, I think he relied on his strong arm a little bit too much, but I think it's a situation with Kevin Davidson where, uh, you know, you're looking at a guy who could now – wasn't even graded by scouts coming into the year because he hadn't started at Princeton for three years, but now you're looking at a guy who could go in the seventh round. I think Kelly Bryant, based on the way he continued to progress throughout the week, especially his Wednesday performance, I think he helped himself. I think scouts see, you know what, the pieces are here. We just have to coach him. We have to pull it all together. And if we do, we could have a winner on our hands with Kelly Bryant. I do think Tyler Huntley of Utah really hurt himself. I mean, he just didn't seem to show good awareness. He didn't have good pocket presence. Oftentimes, he seemed to get very rattled and take off up the field, and his throws were all over the place. And as we said on this podcast, you know, the Utah offense and the Utah team went the way of Tyler Huntley. If Tyler Huntley was smoking as he was in the months of October and November, it was tough to beat Utah. But when Tyler Huntley was off his game, as we saw in the Pac-12 title game, uh, you know, it was easy pickings against Utah. And that's what happened the past three days of trying practice. Now, do you think scouts are in lockstep with your thoughts or did they see anything differently? Scouts told me that they agree that the the two guys who helped themselves the most were James Morgan of Florida International and Kevin Davidson. Uh, They really like Morgan. The question is, is does he have the arm to play at the next level or are you going to have to put a system? He's going to have to be put in a running system where you're not going to be able to really challenge the vertical game with him. Now, how about the running backs, Tony? It's not really easy to scout them in this setting, but what did you see? Yeah, like I said, the aforementioned James Robinson, he was good every single day, really from the get-go, breaking off long runs, showing good short area quickness, catching the ball out of the backfield. I didn't see it, but people mentioned to me how terrific he looked during uh, his blocking assignments. I also like Tavian Feaster of South Carolina. You know, a lot of this is about expectations, whether it's the Shrine game, the Senior Bowl, or even the Combine. And if a guy is quicker than expected, you're going to basically improve his draft rate. That's what happened with Tavian Feaster. If he's a little bit faster than expected, he's going to come out a winner. That's what happened with Tavian Feaster. Caught the ball well out of the backfield. Exceptional blocker. So really with Feaster, you're looking at a guy now in the late rounds. It's probably only going to be your third back at the next level. But a guy you can use as a short yardage runner a guy who you're not afraid to throw the ball to out of the backfield, and someone who, if you need to keep him in the backfield for pass protection, he can get the job done. I also thought Reggie Corbin of Illinois showed a lot of good things, especially as a pass catcher. Now, I asked about Adrian Killens on Tuesday and how he might hold up as a pass blocker. Obviously, you hadn't seen too many reps then. Did you see anything to that effect Wednesday? I went out of my way to make sure I watched him uh, because you brought up that point. And I got to tell you, it was ugly. <laughs> I mean, it, was, it wasn't the old Olay block, as they call it. But, I, I mean, uh, basically, if, if the ball's not in Killen's hands, he's not very useful because he just got run over and, you know, gave effort. But there's really only so much 170-pound running back can do to block. So it, it, it was not a pretty sight. 
Now, there's a lot of movement at the wide receiver position this week, not so much at tight end. So we'll combine the two. Who are your big winners among pass catchers as well as any disappointments? Number one, you got to start off with Mason Kinsey. I, I mean, really, the, the first day of the practice, it was Mason Kinsey and Malcolm Perry. Malcolm Perry kind of leveled off. Mason Kinsey from Berry College just got better and better and better. He was unstoppable. Opponents could not cover him. He doesn't have a great deep speed. He doesn't have a great size, but he's an incredibly quick. He's insanely quick, and, and opponents could not stay with him out of out of his breaks, and he got easily got separation. So this guy from Berry College, and you, if you asked anybody about Berry College literally before Monday, they would have said, huh? Uh, I mean, now I don't know that he's going to get drafted, but he's absolutely going to be signed as a free agent, and you're looking at a potential slot receiver punt returner at the next level. I thought Isaiah Wright of Temple played very well as the week went on. Bigger guy, doesn't have the quickness of Kinsey, doesn't have the speed of Kinsey, but he's a bigger guy who gets up and wins out for those contested throws, plays with great body control and balance, and really did an outstanding job uh, in the red zone. I thought Eli Wolf uh, of Georgia played well as a blocker and a pass catcher. I don't know whether he's going to be a tight end or a fullback, but I do think he's going to play at the next level. Parker Houston, we talked about him earlier in this podcast. Uh, his blocking skills were terrific at the tight end position. He's not fast. He doesn't have great speed. But when they threw in the ball in red zone situations, he did a good job. I think you're looking at him as, I don't know if he's going to get drafted, but he could be signed as a free agent and end up as a third tight end on the roster. Jonathan Jackson of Mizzou, uh, again, Mason Kinsey type of player, small, not the fastest guy in the world, but incredibly quick with great running skills. And a lot of people like John Hightower. He started off the week difficult where he dropped a deep bomb placed right in his hands by Kelly Bryant, but he picked it up and he just got better and better and better. I think you're looking at a guy in Hightower that if he runs fast times at the combine, he's a guy who could be the first draft pick out of the, uh, out of the Shrine game. Now, anything additional from scouts about the receivers and tight ends in St. Pete? Well, I mean, the only thing is there was a bit of disappointment in Juwan Johnson from Oregon. I mean, he's a bigger guy. And as I mentioned, we spoke about on this podcast, I, I think what you're going to have to do with Juwan Johnson is you're going to have to put uh, 10 pounds on him and turn him into a move tight end because he really showed limited quickness and speed. You know, I like him on film, but, uh, you know, he did drop a fair number of passes uh, during the Shrine game. I think it was because of lack of concentration. I think looking at Jawan Johnson, Jawan Johnson's one of those guys when we spoke about Tyler Johnson before that really should have came in and dominated this game, and he didn't. I mean, he didn't dominate the way, say, Mason Kinsey did. And I think there's some question as to what do you do with Jawan Johnson of Oregon moving forward. Do you leave him at receiver, or do you try and put some weight on him and move him to uh, tight end? Now, the last offensive position group is the offensive linemen. We talked about the prior two shows, how the interior offensive linemen really showed the most. Is that reflected in your winners and losers from the week, Tony? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Calvin Throckmorton and John Runyon, Calvin Throckmorton of Oregon and John Runyon of Michigan, really improved their stock primarily because of the versatility they showed. You know, Throckmorton, college right tackle, came in early part of the week, played guard, did a good job of it, moved to center, showed himself as a capable and, and competent center. And, and actually, when he was moved back out to right tackle late in the week, he struggled with the, with the speed rushers. But you know he can play guard or center. Same thing with Runyon. Didn't play much center, or at least I didn't see him play center. Did a really good job at guard. Cord Cordell Iwagu of TCU, uh, as well as uh, Kyle Murphy of Rhode Island, both had terrific weeks, especially Kyle Murphy. Both are similar players, smaller, 
agile type of lineman that you can use in a zone scheme type of situation where you can uh, put him in motion, especially Murphy. I mean, he showed great vision. He showed great adjustment, the ability to redirect and pick up the blitz. He showed ability on the second level. But both of these guys just need to get a little bit bigger and stronger. And I think they can eventually find themselves in a starting lineup at the next level. I also like what I saw from Kevin Dotson, as did a lot of scouts. I, I mean, Kevin Dotson, I'm glad to see it. I had him on my scouting radar since after his freshman season, and he just – he wasn't spectacular, but he did not get beat at all. And, Tony, on the flip side, what about <clears> – and, Tony, on the flip side, what about some of the disappointments on the offensive line? Yeah, Darren Palu of, of Utah. Again, you know, these events are about expectations, and people – told me during the year that Paulo was playing terrific football. They thought he could move in the middle rounds and he was beaten like a drum consistently played a little bit better on Wednesday, but he just looked like a big guy who lacked balance was overextending and was kind of tripping over his feet. Tyler Higby of Michigan State, I also thought had a, a difficult week again. You know, you watch Tyler Higby on film and you see him in person. He's got good size. He blocked with solid mechanics but he just seems very stiff and he just rarely finishes blocks. He'll get his hands on opponents first and foremost, right out of the snap, but he can't finish. Now we'll get to the defensive side of the ball and a quick game preview in just a moment. But first a word from our sponsor. Support for the draft analysts comes from Manscaped, the best in men's below the belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. If you are going to pick any New Year's resolution this year, let it be to take care of your junk. Manscaped is making it easy with their men's grooming products, finally making manscaping accidents a thing of the past. Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag. Manscaped also has the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BLEAVE at manscaped.com. Start the new year off the right way by using the best tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BLEAVE. That's B-L-E-A-V at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the code BLEAVE. That's B-L-E-A-V. On to the defensive line now, Tony, where several of the stars of the week can be found. Who shined the brightest? Yeah, you know, I like Bravey and Roy of Baylor. I mentioned them a couple times. He was just an overpowering force. He was busting through double-team blocks. He showed some agility. Uh, kind of wore down as, as the week went on, but really Monday and Tuesday, he was terrific. John Penasini of Utah had a solid week of, of practice. Khalil Davis of Nebraska was good. Bryce Huff out of Memphis showed a lot of pass-rushing skill, both standing over tackle as well as out of a three-point stance, as did Derek Tuzga of North Dakota State. As I said earlier, McKelvin, a game of Arkansas, played very well. And Mike Dana was unstoppable. Mike Dana just seemed to get better and better as the week went on. I think the thing with Mike Dana was, you know, he really didn't get much playing time at Michigan because they had two good pass rushers there, and he was the third-man rotational guy. But he, would, he could not be stopped. And, you know, again, he was good on Monday, better on Tuesday, and outstanding on Wednesday. Now, what's the word from scouts on this strong-looking defensive line group? You know, I got a lot of different uh, – a lot of different opinions, although it's centered around the three guys that I like the most. There were some scouts who thought John Penasini of Utah was the best defensive line in attendance. They liked the strength of his base. They liked his mechanics. They like his intensity, the fact that the motor's always running. But they do realize that he doesn't have a great upside. He's basically a get-what-you-see type of guy, 
And, you know, he's basically someone who may have leveled off. They do think he's going to play at the next level. There are a lot of teams that really thought Khalil Davis of Nebraska was the top uh, defensive lineman. Ironically, his brother Carlos, who we had on the show, was was rather spotty, while Khalil Davis was unstoppable uh, for two and a half days. I spoke about Bravery and Roy. The feeling of Bravery and Roy is he's got a good amount of upside. He can be a powerhouse, but he's got to get in shape. He's got to lose a bit of his body fat, and he's really got to get a little bit stronger in his overall body as he loses that weight, if you can believe it. They think that he kind of wore down because he's poorly conditioned, uh, but if he basically attends to what needs to be attended to off the field, he can be a real good player on it. Now, moving to the second level, we say often that linebackers can be a bit hard to judge in this setting, sort of like the running backs. Who did you get a good handle on, both positively and negatively here? You know, I thought Casey Tuhill of Stanford got better as the week went on. And by Wednesday's practice, he had started to put it together. He's not a great uh, linebacker, but he's smart. He's instinctive. He stays with his assignments, and he just showed a nasty attitude. Michael Walker of Fresno State, someone we've mentioned on the show going back to November, I thought really showed a lot of skill. They used him as both a 3-4 outside linebacker as well as an middle linebacker. I thought he showed better as a 3-4 outside linebacker, but he didn't really make any mistakes or have any mental errors at inside linebacker. I was disappointed in John Houston of USC. Houston is a guy who, after a sophomore season, I had him highly rated, but he really didn't show much in the way of speed or quickness in his game, had, had trouble cutting off the corners from running backs, was late arriving at the scene, and just really didn't make a lot of plays. Now, what did scouts take away from the position group this week? I mean, it was unanimous that they thought Michael Walker, Fresno State, was the best linebacker on the field. Uh, came away with a lot of praise from scouts, which shouldn't surprise people. I mean, Walker's a guy who I had graded as a fringe third-round pick for the longest time. You go back and you watch his 2018 film when he played outside linebacker near 3-4. He was terrific. Uh, it was a bit of an adjustment this year moving to middle linebacker. He wasn't bad, but he wasn't as dynamic. But I think when he played three, four outside linebacker, scouts really saw what he could be. And Walker came away as hands down the number one linebacker. And he's one of those guys that was the exception to the rule. When I said there's four or five guys, a handful of guys that scouts really liked that they thought could go in the middle rounds. One of those guys was Walker. Now, finally, the DBs feel like mostly safeties were the ones impressing here. Are those your main winners, Tony, or do you have anybody else on the list? Yeah, that's really those are really my only winners from the uh, from the defensive secondary. I mean, Rodney Clemens, I thought he was a little bit quiet on uh, on Wednesday, but he had terrific days on Monday and Tuesday. I got to speak with Clemens, very respectful, articulate kid, uh, man, I should say. I don't mean to call him kid in a bad way. Um, but a guy who just made plays, and he made plays when the ball's in the air. I mean, these games, it's very easy for these guys to defend the run. Rodney Clements made plays against the pass and did a good job of them. Jordan Glasgow of Michigan, David Dowell of Michigan State, both had really good weeks. They're not the greatest athletes, but they're good football players, and I think both solidified themselves as late-round picks who are going to be maybe the third or fourth safety on a team and can play special teams. Now, any buzz from scouts on the performances of these DBs? You know. It's basically what I mentioned before when we did our, our review of Wednesday's practice, and that was basically how bad some of the cornerbacks were. And, and I go back to Luke Barku, who, you know, scouts wanted to see, was he a flash in a pan? Were his nine interceptions the result of opportunity, or was he really a skilled cornerback? And I think Barku, who I've noticed on occasion being mocked, 
in the second round or the third round. He's a guy who, unless somehow he runs in the four twos and he looks like he's a four five five cornerback, somehow he runs in the four twos, low four threes. I don't think he's going to get drafted. Now practices are always the most important part of all-star weeks. Most scouts don't even stay for the game Saturday. Tony, do you even remember the last time you stayed for the weekend? Never. When I started going to the senior bowl, and it's ironic because this is going to be my 20th year at the senior bowl. The first year I went, I made the mistake for staying for the Friday practice, which was a no pads practice. Uh, and I, I, that was that. I mean, most of these guys are out after the last practice is, o- is uh, over. I've actually never stayed for a game. Now, all that said, there is still a game to be played. It does carry some importance how quickly some players pick up the offense and defense, develop chemistry with their teammates, and really perform once the lights are on. Some guys, as we know, practice better than they play. So there's definitely some value in the game, even if the practices do reign supreme from a scouting perspective. Tony, is there anything you're going to watch for in particular during Saturday's game? Obviously, I want to see if anybody's able to slow down Mike Dana. Uh, if they're able to really, you know, just, just stop him, or, uh, he's going to be able to rush off the edge at will. You want to watch the defensive lineman that we spoke about, Khalil Davis, Bravian Roy, John Penasini. want to see Bryce Sterk. I mean, that's basically what I, that's the primary thing I'm going to be looking for. Then I'm going to be looking at some of the play from the quarterbacks. You know, can James Morgan duplicate in the game, the accuracy, the pass placement, the decision-making in the game that he showed during three days of practice? Does Kevin Davidson make smart plays on the field, or is he still trying to power the ball into receivers and trying to impress people with his arm strength? We know he's got a strong arm. We want to see him be able to hit uh, hit, hit players and hit receivers in stride. Uh, and really, how does Kelly Bryant do? Does Kelly Bryant pull it together as he did on Wednesday? Or does he, is he sporadic like he was Monday and Tuesday? You also want to watch the special teams. You know, does Mason Kinsey or Barry get a chance to return punts? And how does he do? Does Jonathan Johnson of uh, Missouri get the same opportunity to return punts? One guy you want to keep an eye on, I didn't write about him, is Alex Petchen. He is the punter from Bucknell. And I can tell you, he was kicking moonshots throughout the week. Uh, 60 yards with great hang time. Uh, so that'll be interesting to watch. Now, when they do special teams practice, you know, he's basically taking easy snaps from the long snapper. He's not being rushed. There's no issue of getting the, the punt off quickly, although he doesn't want to take a, day, a year and a half because scouts are watching him. But let me tell you something. This kid pension from uh, Bucknell has got a massive leg, and he was kicking moonshots. Let's see if he's able to duplicate what he did in practice uh, during the game situations. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned special teams. It's something that tends to get lost. They do do drills during practices, but it's just against air. So you really get an opportunity to see that during the game. And these guys are all going to be late round picks. As you said, guys that are really not going to end up in the top 100. Most aren't even going to crack the top 120. So teams are looking on the third day of the draft, not only to build depth at certain positions, but they're looking for guys that can impact the game on special teams as well, whether it's as a returner, whether it's on coverage teams. I mean, there are guys that get drafted strictly to play special teams. They don't even want them on the too deep of their depth chart. So that's an opportunity for some of these guys to really make some noise at the Shrine Bowl. You know, you're absolutely right about that. And I think one of the best examples that I could remember is Antoine randall who didn't play in the Shrine game. He played in the Senior Bowl. An electrifying option quarterback in Indiana, moved to receiver, which he showed well at the year that he was at the Senior Bowl. Then game time came, and I kept talking about watch this guy return punts, and he was electric. He was absolutely a guy who just turned in some incredible punt returns during the Senior Bowl game. 
And that really helped his draft stock. And here's a guy who people thought was a late round pick. And based on his play at the senior bowl, specifically at special teams, ended up as a second round pick in the 2002 NFL draft. And that's it for the 109th episode of the draft analysts presented by the believe sports podcast network. Do you believe if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review and feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll be back this weekend with a preview of next week's senior bowl, which we'll both be on hand for in mobile Alabama. But until then for Tony Pauline, this is Chris Tripodi and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.